The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or... Treatment advice. Good one. Today on The Lab Report, we are going to talk berberine. Finally, after several false starts and broken promises. Maybe we should do something else. No! The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. So Craig and Jeff are telling me that they're phasing out gas stoves. Is that real? <laughs> well, that might be a good thing in Craig's case since oh. they just leave it on and go to bed. <laughs> Great points. Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you today? Doing okay, Patty Devers. How are you? Crushing it. Living my best life. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You've got, you're pretty consistent at that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> Very good. No, but seriously, are they are they banning gas stoves? What's up with that? No, I've got an article here that says fact focus. Biden administration isn't banning gas stoves. Oh. So I think we're I think we're safe. Just a bunch of hullabaloo. Fake news. Um, this is a podcast. It is called the Lab Report. It's brought to you on behalf of Genova Diagnostics. Thank you, Genova. Thank you. And it's where we talk about things like precision and integrative medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and the like. If any of those things Michael just talked about interest you, and you happen to like our show, perhaps you can go to iTunes or Spotify, subscribe, rate, review, share with your friends, leave some stars, all that stuff. Seriously, you can do that. If yeah. you have additional feedback, you can send that feedback to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. Yep. And if you're a patient interested in Genova testing and ordering it directly, or you want to be connected with a Genova client to help guide your healthcare, you can go to connect.gdx.net. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do that. All the Check cool that website out. Yeah. We've got a new website, speaking of websites. We do. How exciting is that? It looks great, in so my opinion. Great. Oh, so much easier. Not a developer, but it, I think it looks great. I'll agree. Um, so feel free to... Uh, we'll have some more information probably on that coming mm-hmm. soon, but uh, feel free to navigate over there and check it out. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, G-D-X. all that stuff. GDX.net. So I'll say this. <laughs> what what will you say? I didn't think that people had such, uh, I don't know, alliance, allegiance, care uh-huh. for their appliances as they do. Well, because this people are passionate thing, about, about their appliances, There's some Michael. people that kind of lost their mind over this. Like, what do you mean? Well, I have this tweet here from Texas Representative Ronnie Jackson, and he said, I'll never give up my gas stove. If the maniacs in the White House come <laughs> for my stove, they can pry it from my cold, dead hands. Come and take it. <laughs> well, where did all of this come from if it's not true? <laughs> and so, like Jeff was talking about, that there was an article about asthma and gas stoves and, and triggering various respiratory things. So I thought maybe that's where it came from, but it doesn't even appear to be true. Well, I think that it got... It, it's got taken out of proportion because uh, I think what they are looking at is imposing regulations to try and uh, prevent that sort of stuff moving forward. It. Okay. Um, but again, didn't know people were willing <laughs> to defend their appliances with their lives. I just, I see, I don't know if it's all appliances. I don't think people feel that passionately about blenders. Like, you know, I think specifically it's like a gas stove versus an electric stove. <laughs> I don't know. You haven't talked to some of these Vitamix people. Oh, such a good point. Although I'll say Vitamix, probably easier to pry from someone's cold, dead hands True. than a stove. That's a good point. It's all gone pear-shaped. It has gone pear-shaped. Thanks, Oliver, for yeah. keeping us focused. Yeah, yeah. Pears get a bad rap. Pears do get a bad rap, and they're delicious. They're not. They are delicious. 
Anyway, let's get to it, Patty. What are we talking focus, about? Focus, focus. What are we talking about? We're talking about berberine. Berberine. Yeah. And, you know, whenever we do these episodes that are about herbs, I'm always at such a disadvantage. Why is that? Because you've been trained in this. You're a naturopath, and it's it's a lot of nuance when, when we talk about herbs and how to use them. So I'm always feeling like I'm at a disadvantage here. I was going to push back and correct you and maybe try and normalize and stuff. However... It's not an herb. So starting there, oh, berberine is go. actually not an herb. It's a here constituent within herbs. So, I mean, I hear you. I think you're perfectly capable to be know. sitting at this table here and having this discussion. Well, at least I can ask all the burning questions that most people would have, and you can answer them all. Yeah, I guess we'll see about that. Do you have a first question that's burning that you would like to talk about? Yeah, or? first of all, clarify what you said. So it's part of a plant and then a constituent in an herb. Sure. Uh, so there are lots of plants out there that mm-hmm. contain the substance berberine, um, and berberine is basically it's a it's a chemical that's you know it's identified as an isoquinoline alkaloid, uh, which is just fancy speak for de- describing what type of uh, a chemical it is, mm-hmm. and um, it's in a lot of plants, but probably some of the most popular are going to be bearberry, Oregon grape, and golden seal, but there's there's other ones out there um, that will have some berberine. So a lot of times what happens if you're thinking about supplementing with berberine is, is that substance is extracted from one or more of these plants. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about these plants, okay? okay? Because you're saying that it's an alkaloid molecule. Mm-hmm. Is it in the bark? Is it in the leaves? Is it in the roots? Or is it in the, the rhizomes? I mean, what part of plants have berberine? Well, I believe all parts of the plants are going to have some amount of it. It's more so about where is it most represented. And when it comes to berberine, I believe it's mostly in the bark and the roots, especially if we're talking about something like Oregon grape. And I will say that um, a lot of historically, I think a lot of this has come from the plant golden seal, mm-hmm. uh, which has led to quite a bit of overharvesting, which has threatened Whoa. some of its ecological status. Uh, so in general, as a naturopath, I think it's important for us to try to defer people away from golden seal and to something like Oregon grape, which is not really threatened and is pretty plentiful. There's lots of different species of, of Oregon grape or Mahonia families. Uh, plants. So uh, that would be a good one to use. I mean, we're talking about barberry and Oregon grape. These are shrubs. These aren't yeah. necessarily plants. So a little bit more hardy. You mean not like a, a wild flowering plant? Right, right. Because right. shrubs are plants too. <laughs> All right. That's a good point. Okay. So you harvest barberry, Oregon grape, uh-huh. hopefully not golden seal because to your point, it's been over harvested. Uh-huh. And you extract this alkaloid called berberine. Yep. And being a naturopath, you know that it's got a lot of great medicinal uses, but the only one that I really know, or know the best when I first came here to Genova, is its antimicrobial properties and mm-hmm. its use in the GI tract, because we do measure sensitivities to it on our GI effects test, yeah. but I'm sure that that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this herb. It kind of is. Um I mean, I will say, I think it's it's fair to think that it's definitely one of its main uses and historically most common use. Uh, you know, the, the colloquial phrase that was always used in a lot of the um, herbalist texts was traveler's diarrhea. It's great for traveler's mm-hmm. diarrhea, uh, which usually means you, you pick something up along the way from, you know, a contaminated stream or something. It's likely some sort of E. coli species that's causing you some discomfort. Uh, this is great for that. But if it's directly bactericidal or it mm. goes against some of these enterotoxins, 
couldn't it also then affect the commensal bacteria and some of the, the good guys in your gut? I tend to put berberine in a different category from a lot of the truly bactericidal uh, preparations that we use, such as, you know, thyme oil or oregano oil or things of that nature. I tend to think of berberine almost more as a microbiome modulator um, because it does, as you say, have impact against a lot of different uh, bacteria. But it also tends to have a little bit of a positive impact on some of our commensal bacteria. So studies have shown that um, it can uh, improve things like the bifidobacteria species, bifido longum, bifido bifidum, even bifido atalensis and lactobacillus acidophilus. Um, and, and that might be part of the action of some of these other conditions that it's good for as well. But it's I don't think of it as like going in there with napalm. It tends to support more of the good guys to a certain degree. And, you know, that also will have an effect on removing some of the inhabitants that we don't want there. But some of the other things that it was shown to do when it was used for traveler's diarrhea are some of its effects on things like smooth muscle contraction and, and decreasing smooth muscle contraction and intestinal motility and some of the water reabsorption that happens with some of these profound uh -huh. diarrhea. So it's not only having an effect on the organisms, yeah. it affects the smooth muscle and, and fluid shifts as well. Yeah, I, to use another you know colloquial sort of term, we, we tend to call these types of plants tonics mm. um, because they're tonifying to the entire gastrointestinal system. Um, and that is has been demonstrated by some of its effects on uh, not only motility and, uh, you know, water absorption, but also digestibility and digestion it helps with indigestion. It's known as a bitter tonic. It has a bitter taste. And like we talked about previously, anything that has that bitter taste tends to stimulate gastric secretions and even salivary secretions. So it really does aid. It's been shown to improve hypochlorhydria, um, low pancreatic function through both direct stimulation and through hormone modulation as well. So it's an all around great, great herb for the GI tract. Okay, so although some people think of this as just bactericidal, you've shown that it can actually promote some of the really good guys in the gut. It mm -hmm. can target some of the bad guys. That also helps with motility, smooth muscle contraction, water reabsorption. The question I would have is, is there any effects on other things like parasites or some of the other really bad guys that are, live in your GI tract? Yeah, it's certainly some of the serious ones, um, like amoebic parasites, um, is thought to be fairly effective. Mm -hmm. um, really, you know, <laughs> problematic organisms like Vibrio and Shigella. It's been shown to be active in even some of our autoimmune type uh, triggers like Proteus and Klebsiella. Which is kind of how we use it on the GI effects, like when we have some of those potential pathogens like Proteus, Klebsiella, even yeah. Candida, some of those yeah. things that can be useful against Yeast, that yeah. Too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's so it's just it covers a lot of bases. And the crazy thing is, right, so those are actions that it has in the GI tract. But those same actions have actually historically been used uh, for skin ailments as well. It's tonifying to the skin and it's antimicrobial to the skin. So like if you're out hiking um, and you, you know what Oregon grape looks like or perhaps, you know, s some of these other herbs, then and you get a cut abrasion, mm -hmm. then you've got an antimicrobial that you can put right on there in the field. And it's actually even been used to address and help with psoriasis as well, which is just fascinating as far as how robust this, this substance and plants are. Okay, so are you saying you can topically rub it on psoriasis? Yeah, you can do that. And you can topically apply it to any sort of abrasion for antimicrobial benefit. I think, I mean, you can do that in the field with what's called a, a poultice or a spit mm -hmm, poultice. Mm -hmm. But more commonly, you know, if you're trying to use this as a medicine, then it would be made into a salve or a cream. Well, let me, let me take this 
in a, in a different way, in yeah. a backward way, because we've spoken many times on the show about how your microbiome can influence your skin. And there's studies around how if you yeah. biopsy a peripheral psoriatic plaque that it has LPS or lipopolysaccharides mm-hmm. from gram negative bacteria in your gut. Yeah. And so the concept of healing your gut actually can heal your skin. So as it relates to berberine, it sounds as if not only does it modulate and balance your microbiome from the inside out, but it can also be used topically right on systemic lesions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one other thing too, is we think about the skin with respect to detoxification and appropriate detoxification in the liver. Um, and berberine has been used as a stimulant to the liver to help improve antioxidant status, lessen free radical damage. Um, and even, has been implicated in sort of chronic autoimmune and allergic inflammation type scenarios as well. So like it's hitting it everywhere. It's hitting the microbiome aspect. It's hitting the liver detoxification aspect, the digestion aspect, and then also antimicrobial topically and internally. I mean, holy crap, right? That's a ton of stuff. I mean, I think we all agree. Berberine is good for your GI tract. It's awesome. And as it helps your GI tract, it helps a lot of other things. But I will say the other place that berberine is brought up a lot is in its metabolic effects and its ability to regulate blood sugar. And and in fact, some people use it in type 2 diabetes. Yeah. Yeah, I know that's true. And I haven't dug into any of the mechanisms around that quite a bit. Is that partly due to its effect on the microbiome and the microbiome changes or what's going on there? I mean, that's likely some of it, but there's also another mechanism that's been proposed as to the effect of berberine on very specific enzymes called adenosine monophosphate activated protein kinase or AMPK. Okay. I mean, you've heard that before, the AMPK enzyme. (laughs) Of course (laughs) I have. (laughs) And this very specific enzyme is important because it is a highly conserved master regulator of cellular energy homeostasis, like mitochondrial health. And it's involved in a lot of biological processes like regulating glucose, regulating lipids and protein metabolism. So anything that can directly affect either stimulate or slow down or sense the changes of something that's going on in your mitochondria. I mean, the ability to use that herb in many metabolic processes, it's, it's vast. Yeah, it's it is fascinating. I, you know, there's some other animal studies here showing that um, it's basically has been used to recover metabolic dysfunction uh, through several different pathways, whether that's glycolysis, beta oxidation of fats, um, synthesis of cholesterol for excretion, amino acid metabolism. I mean, what what right. can this not do? Right. Okay, so super herb berberine, we've talked about its yeah, effects on the GI herb. tract. Go buy some. The skin detox. We talked about metabolic effects and lipids and glycolysis and weight loss. But there is another place that this Still, herb has been more? used clinically, and that's for its cardiovascular effects, right? It's mm. a good heart herb. And some of it might be, I think. As it relates, we talked about how in the GI tract, how it's it's a smooth, it helps with smooth muscle contraction. Uh-huh. And so, if you're using this systemically, think about like vasodilation mm-hmm. and lowering blood pressure and decreasing, you know, load on the heart. So, some of the effects I believe are related to that ability to affect smooth muscle contraction. Yeah, it's also been shown to lower lipids, um, mm-hmm. right? And so, think about from a cardiovascular perspective, from all the things that we just talked about. So you've got decrease of LPS potentially based on dysbiosis. Mm -hmm. You've got modulation of inflammation in the system. You've got reduction of free radical damage. You've got metabolic improvements. And then you've also got improvements to your lipids. Like that's all a recipe for cardiovascular health. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So my question then becomes, 
why aren't we all taking berberine, Michael? Yeah, I mean, I think you make a good point. Like, there there are plenty of us that should be taking it that are are not taking it, or at least could benefit from it. Uh, that being said, it's not for everyone. Okay. Um, it does have a couple contraindications, one of them mainly being in pregnancy. Um, so, so berberine is generally regarded as safe and, and not toxic. But in pregnancy, it has the potential to cause uterine contraction, which is not something that you're going to be wanting to do. So I would say from a safety standpoint, it's to be avoided in pregnancy and breastfeeding. And you know, the other thing that comes to mind is that a lot of patients take these herbs because you can buy them online, right? And then they come into a hospital or they go to their doctor and you need to make sure that you're telling your physician if you are taking prescriptive medication because there's a lot of interactions with some of the prescriptive medications. Like for example, if you're taking a medication for type 2 diabetes, mm-hmm. it can worsen hypoglycemia. There's some yeah. there's certain antibiotics and certain other specific cytochrome P450 drugs like antidepressants or other blood thinners that can really cause a problem and you yeah. can really interfere with things like Coumadin. So, although there's you know, some really great benefits for heart health, it can really interfere with a lot of those cardiac medications. So you need to be very careful. Yeah. It's, it's similar to being on a blood thinner and taking fish oil, right? Like now you're double, you're double dipping on the mechanism of action. So you want to talk with uh, your physician who knows this sort of thing uh, so that you're monitoring that. If you're taking on a cholesterol lowering medication, then you take an herb that lowers your cholesterol further, could be going down too far. You got to manage that. But all that being said, I mean, from an herb perspective, mm-hmm. in all other cases, it's it's generally regarded as pretty safe, which is uh, great because, you know, yeah. herbs aren't always that way. That's true. And I'll tell you, the other thing that I found interesting mm-hmm. about this episode, Michael, and much like every time we do various episodes on herbs and plants, I always come back to how they're named. So you, earlier you said berberine comes from things like Oregon grape or golden mm-hmm. seal or right. barberry. I also happen to know that these all have 75 different ridiculous names. And, you know, what episode on herbs would be complete without us talking about what's in a name? What's in a name? Love it. What's in a name? Okay. All right, well, let's start with Golden Seal. Golden Seal. Golden Seal. Hey, John. Does it really need all these different names? Why is it called eye balm oh yeah that's interesting right oh yeah that's interesting right balm right balm right because part of berberine's actions that we didn't mention actually include uh looking at eye issues conjunctivitis and things of that nature so uh has historically and traditionally been used as somewhat of an eye wash as well nice it's also called yellow root yeah yellow root yeah yellow 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 root yeah or jaundice root right well that's referring uh, to the the yellow color of berberine itself. So a lot of times sure. these constituents, um, the, the berberine in particular, a lot of times these plants that are high in berberine have you know yellowish uh, color to their to the leaves and the stems and the wood and all that sort of stuff. And when you extract it, it's a yellow color. See, I was thinking it's more of the issue with breastfeeding. You have a baby with jaundice, but that's not the case. You're saying it's clearly just that it's yellow. Clearly just that it's yellow. What's in a name? Okay. Well, I guess it's hard to know. I mean, we it is contraindicated in jaundice newborns. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's hard to know. Well, I guess it's hard to know. I mean, we it is contraindicated in jaundice newborns mm-hmm. um, because of its ability to displace bilirubin. And so it's not used in those conditions, but I, both are related to the word yellow. So it's hard to know whether it's actually the the you know, impact or, or the concern around jaundice babies or whether the fact that eh, when you dig it up, the roots are yellow. What's in a name? Okay. Golden seal. Hey, 
All right, well, let's move on to Barberry, which is not fun to say. I don't know why, but Barberry, Barberry is also called Jaundiceberry. So I'm starting to see a theme here with sure. the yellow. So I'm assuming it's also yellow. Not only that, but it's not just, uh, it's cross-cultural because it also has a name of Palo Amarillo. Palo Amarillo. Amarillo. <laughs> Amarillo. Amarillo. Which is also, right, that's that's essentially yellow stick or yellow wood. Sounds really fancy. Sounds really fancy. What's in a name? Even fancier if you use a Colombian pronunciation, which would be Palo Amarillo. Oh, Lord. Palo Amarillo. Oh, Lord. Then there's Mountain Grape, Pepper Ridge, mm. Pepper Ridge, So Berry, and Princess. Yeah, referring to the berry part of it. Right. Right. So these plants not only have yellow roots and, and pith inside their stems, but uh, they have berries. They're burying plants a lot of times. So um, that's where the bar berry. That's where the bar berry comes from. Um, Oregon grape is another right because that it's quote unquote air quote grape. Where air quote grape. Where, air quote grape. Yeah, yeah, because it's actually a really nasty tasting bitter berry. Are we air quoting grape? Yeah, yeah. What's in a name? Love it. Golden seal. <laughs> Let's go to the Oregon grape. Sure. Speaking of grapes, and you know, again, it's another theme. This Oregon grape, the Oregon holly grape. There's the holly leaved barberry, the creeping barberry kind of all connected though the one thing i'm not seeing here is anything related to yellow yeah that's interesting we had a theme yeah that's interesting we had a theme theme, theme. interesting what's in a name love it but even lacking the yellow in some of the naming conventions uh it does still have the yellow tint to some of the the, the root and the the, the stems and the, the pithy part of the stem so um you know it's there for sure you're gonna see it um so there you go lots of names out there but mostly very descriptive names out there. A lot of yellow names out there. Yeah. Palo Amarillo. Amarillo. <laughs> Amarillo. Amarillo. Right? Bomb. Right? Bomb. What's in a name? Okay, well, as per usual, every time we do an episode about plants or herbs, mm-hmm. I learn a ton. I start to realize how important a lot of these plants and herbs are. Sure. And all the vast effects, and they're amazing, and they have 65 million different names, which yeah. is utterly unnecessary. And so I think that at least we all got a little bit of clinical pearls from this Berberine episode. Is there anything you want to just end on here, Michael? Sure. Well, I mean, I always like to make the plug that we spend a lot of time talking about Berberine, but it's not the only chemical constituent inside a lot of these plants. And so when you're taking a plant as a whole herb, there are a lot of other things that are doing medicinal potentially actions in there. You know, there's so many other constituents like berbamine, oh, canadine, columbamine, cordidine, corypalmine, coryturberine, hydrastine, isoboldine, isocordine. Next time on The Lab Report, Dr. Molly Malouf, international speaker, influencer, key opinion leader in personalized medicine, and author of the upcoming book, The Spark Factor. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Okay, so I've received some backlash against my potato comments on the last episode. And well, you should. And Why I, are you vilifying entire macronutrients? I, I am totally 
baffled how many people think potatoes are delicious. I'm telling you. And on my... Like on their own, like raw yeah, potatoes. they're delicious. And on my little potato diet, I've lost 10 pounds. Congratulations. That's, That's great. Right. And I found them. 